Welcome to the Five Good Ideas podcast, where we rebroadcast some of the best sessions of Maytree's popular Lunch and Learn program. I'm your host, Gayatri Kumar, and I'm a communication specialist at Maytree. We're a Toronto-based organization committed to exploring solutions to poverty in Canada using a human rights approach. For each session of Five Good Ideas, we invite an expert from the nonprofit or corporate sector to share five practical ideas on a key management issue facing nonprofit organizations today. In the session you're about to hear, originally recorded on January 22nd, 2019, we look at how to run effective meetings with Dr. Rebecca Southerns. Life's too short for boring, unproductive meetings. Yet, that's precisely where many of us spend too much of our time. We know that working together is a good and necessary thing, but we also know that getting the right combination of people in a room together or a virtual space is not enough to ensure effective collaboration. In her presentation, Rebecca presents five good ideas on how to create the conditions that can transform time wasted as a group into time well spent. Dr. Rebecca Southerns is an experienced strategist and facilitator who has served as an advisor to hundreds of mission-driven organizations in Canada and internationally. She's a skilled communicator with a particular gift for helping leaders make wiser decisions faster. As the founder of Sage Solutions, a Guelph-based consulting firm, Rebecca has facilitated customized strategic processes for community benefit organizations for more than 20 years. Rebecca is the author of the book, Nimble, Off Script But Still on Track, a coaching guide for responsive facilitation. Here's Dr. Rebecca Southerns with her five good ideas for running effective meetings. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. It's such a pleasure to be here, and I do appreciate it very much. I'm going to pick up where Elizabeth left off, and that is to say that if you were to pull out your phone right now, please don't unless you're tweeting about this, but if you were to pull out your phone right now and look at your last five work days, uh, I'm curious how many of you would have had at least 10 meetings in the last five work days? How many of you suspect you might have had 20? Some of you running, you know, four or five meetings a day. How many of you run meetings as opposed to showing up at them? How many of you run them? Most of us, not all of us. I'm going to give you some tips if you're not running them and you're sitting in a disastrous meeting and wishing you were running it because if you were, it would be over by now. Those kinds of meetings, we'll talk about those as well. I think if we actually did the math on how many hours and how many people and therefore person hours are spent in meetings, we would be you know, feeling a little bit like our shoulders would slump. We'd be like, oh, here we go again. And yet there's reasons we do that, right? We do it because collaboration is important. Collaboration is necessary. None of us has the market cornered on full perspective on any given issue. And so we know that we need these meetings to happen. We just want them to be better. And so what I look forward to doing today is walking you through five ideas that are then linked to resources and tips that I hope that you can implement uh, right away in your practice, in your team, in your life, whether those meetings are work meetings for you or in roles that you have in your community in unpaid capacities, maybe even around your family dinner table. I hope that you'll find that these tips are helpful. All right, idea number one is know your why. I'm curious, how many of you have ever in your life lived with a toddler? Any of you? Many of you. Uh, did that toddler go through a phase where they said, but why? But why? But why? But why? But why? 20 times, right? I'd really love for you to get in that habit quietly. It doesn't go over well at dinner parties if you do it out loud, but if you do it quietly in your head, you're going to start zooming in on one tip to run effective meetings. Because if you cannot think of the reason 
why this meeting is happening, then I would hazard to say that perhaps it need not happen. And I would say also that just because it's Wednesday morning or something like that, because it's the first Monday of the month, doesn't really constitute a great reason for a meeting. So my first and biggest tip is to be purposeful in your meetings, because if you can articulate a clear why, then people will be more inclined to be invested. And it's not just about the cadence on the calendar, but really about what is that meeting achieving. And we're going to talk about how to unpack some fairly nuanced reasons why meetings are helpful. But I think the first place that I want to start is knowing that you have a why. Um, some of you may be familiar with Simon Sinek's work. He has a, a well-watched TED Talk called, and now subsequent books and other things, all about knowing your why. You may have seen his model, simple bullseye with why in the center. And he argues that people buy things from companies and interact with organizations, not because of how they work or what they offer, but because of why they exist. I would say that Simon's work to my mind is not, frankly, with all due respect to him, rocket science, but it has gone viral. And why? I think why? Because people crave purpose. We want to feel like we're doing something for a reason, that we're not wasting our time. We know that our time is a precious resource. All we can do is trade our time, right? We can trade doing this activity for this other activity, but we haven't yet figured out how to increase our time. And so because it's such a scarce resource, we want to know that we are using it meaningfully. And so in fact, I think this knowing your why idea involves two sides of the same concept that will help us really implement it in our week. One is actively pursuing purposeful engagements, meetings that have a clear why. We want to go after those ones. And similarly, the flip side is deliberately avoiding the ones that lack that. And so here's the tip for managing that calendar I mentioned earlier. One is really take control of it. And remember that just because somebody puts a meeting on your calendar does not mean that you absolutely need to say yes to that and be there. I'd be asking questions about, is this a useful meeting? Does it need me there? And so could you, without burning too many bridges, uh, avoid what you might consider useless or lower priority meetings right now and uh, really try to make it a priority to attend your higher leverage ones? I think the second piece of that is once you are in a meeting or once you're about to run one, Take control of that meeting and be very explicit about the purpose for it. You'd be surprised. I work, Elizabeth sorry, mentioned to me, mentioned earlier that I, I help organizations run more effectively. And one of my first set of questions is, what's this session for? And you would be really surprised at the blank looks I get. Purposeful meetings are actually, that's difficult for people to articulate sometimes. And my job is often to help my clients express kind of intuitively deeply what they know this meeting's for or occasionally to have them go actually now that you mention it I really don't know and if you're feeling like that I think that you really can go back to what I said earlier in terms of if you can't figure out the why it's okay to say we're not going to have this meeting this month do you think if you have a weekly say you have a weekly team meeting if you were to say to your team one of the weeks you know what I don't think the stuff on our agenda warrants the time that this is going to cost us collectively, and so we're going to cancel it this week. How many of you would do an internal, if not external, happy dance? Yeah, you can admit that. It's okay. We would, right? No one is going to go, what? How dare you cancel one of the meetings on my calendar? Cancel it for good reason. Only if you can't determine what the why is. And then the third thing, remember I said I would talk to you about what happens if you're not running the meeting? 
I have a colleague named Michael Wilkinson. You'll see him mentioned on resource number five because his name will come up again later. He runs a company out of Atlanta called Leadership Strategies and he wrote an article on guerrilla facilitation. That's guerrilla with a G-U-E at the beginning, not G-O-R. Guerrilla facilitation is around what you do to be a really good facilitator when you're not the facilitator. And he says, if there is no clear purpose for a meeting, perhaps you can sit in your seat in the meeting and put your hand up and say some variation of, I think I missed it when you said what this meeting is for. Can we clarify the objective before we go any further? Or something like that. So you are kindly and respectfully asking for clarification of that why before you dive in too much. So that's good idea number one. Know your why. And related to that, actively pursue strongly purposeful meetings and actively avoid those that aren't. So our next good idea is more appropriate for those of us that are actually leading the meeting. And it has a planning tool, and I'm actually going to use the flip chart um, to demonstrate it a little bit. But the idea is that we plan in chunks. So I'm curious, how many of you have been hiking in the woods ever? Lots of us, right? Have you seen, do you know what a blaze is? Yeah. So the blaze are the colorful... Um, plastic, usually plasticky kind of tags that they hang on trees. And I'm always grateful for the people that put those up there, right? My husband, when he was in grade 11-ish, was a junior ranger up not far from Kenora, Ontario. And his part of his summer job was to check blazes on trails. And I appreciate the people who do that. The idea for blazes is that ideally, when you're standing at one orange tag on a tree and you're walking along a path and you look down the path, you can see the next blaze. It keeps you on track. That's what this tip does in terms of effective meetings. So um, I'm going to move over here, if that's all right, and uh, show you what I mean. When I plan, let's use the example of a full-day session. I know we don't have that many full-day meetings anymore, but if we were to have a full-day retreat, I'd love for you to think about it in chunks. A one-day meeting, I think of it as four chunks. It's four 90-minute chunks. So if you go, oh, I have to plan a whole day. What am I going to do for a whole day? Could you plan four 90-minute chunks? I think most of us could, and it keeps it a little more manageable. So let me just map that out for you very quickly. I'm no artist, but I want you to think about four. This is a, like a planning template that you can use to plan a full-day session. And if you have a, a shorter session than that, the same concept applies. You just shorten it up. So if this is your lunch, and these are your breaks, usually, right? Bathroom breaks and food breaks happen mid-morning, mid-afternoon, lunch in the middle. Basically, for most of us, each of these chunks is 90 minutes long, okay? So you think about a four times 90 minute chunk day. You could then further subdivide that if you wanted to into 45 and 45, and then you have eight of them. That's fine. I probably wouldn't subdivide it much more than that. But most of us only have about a 90 minute or less attention span, increasingly short. And if you think about planning in chunks, it makes your planning task more manageable. Here's the thing, though. Each chunk needs a why. So as much as we talked about knowing your why, which would be your overall why for the meeting, you actually need purpose for each of the mini chunks. Why do I say that? Partly because if you set a why for the whole day, it's really easy to lose your way as you get along here. And if this one goes off track, and this one goes a little more off track and a little more, you may not end up at your purpose by the end. But it's also so that 
and this is related, if this one goes off track or this one, it's almost like you get to reset as you get to each new chunk. Because if it's not a completely cumulative design, you have an opportunity to say, hmm, yeah, that little exercise did not go quite the way I thought, but I can reset back here. And as a facilitator, that gives you a way to find your blaze again in the forest. You know what I mean? You get to your next marker and go, okay, I felt like I was starting to get a little panicky there. That wasn't quite going the way I thought. But I know, even if we didn't really get that 45-minute chunk well, I know what this one looks like. And so my agendas are, well, facilitation plans, let me put it that way, the detailed ones that I see, they look like this. Because I can then remember the purpose for each of these chunks. And you'll see on your resource page, you have a link there to um, an online prettier version of this that you can use as a facilitation planning template that will help you make sure that you um, have little mini whys that all cumulatively add up to that big purpose for the meeting. So you might have some questions about that, and I hope you do, and I'll look forward to taking those questions at the end. But for now, let's move to our third good idea that is a way to make this planning template even better. My suggestion is that in order to have effective meetings, you will pay attention both to content and experience. And so the big takeaway in this section is to say that an agenda alone is not enough for a good meeting. How many of you have walked into a meeting and there's an agenda either that you've received or that's sitting waiting for you at your place when you get there? And it's got a list of topics one through four or one through 20, right? We've seen that, right? If I'm the facilitator, that alone is only what I would consider to be half of what I need to plan as an effective meeting leader. So let me show you what I mean. Just like I divided this chunk into halves, and I hope, I know this is far away for those at the back, I'm sorry. I also divide my agenda down the middle in terms of content up here and experience. Another way of putting that is, is rational, uh, rational and experiential content experience. What do I mean? I mean that the agenda, the traditional agenda for a meeting would fit under content. We're going to talk about, uh, we want to renovate a park and we're going to talk about the equipment that needs to go in the park. That's not enough to know that your meeting will be effective because you could talk all day long about the equipment, but you might be spinning your wheels because you haven't been clear what done looks like for that chunk. So for example, if you need to just share information about all the different options of climbers and swings we could put in the park, fair enough, share the options. But if you want people to actually do something, I need you each to go and visit three parks between now and next meeting, that might look like done. Or maybe it's time to make a decision and you've got four options of playground designs you need people to look at. That's a different level of done about playground equipment. So if I only write playground equipment on my agenda, and that's what people get, and here's the key, if I do it on my own facilitation plan and that's all I write, how do I know if we're done? So I want to be really clear about what the topic is and if it's information sharing, action, or decision within that. That's half of it. So I've already, I think, made that a little deeper than just taking the topic. It's the topic and what about it that goes in the content side. Let's talk about the experience side because it has two parts too. Whenever I run a meeting, I want to be thinking about the experience that people have with that meeting. And so 
that experience comes in two ways. It, it comes in an emotional or intuitive way. How do people feel about that chunk or that day? What are they leaving feeling like? So I often, I do strategic planning. So I, I literally set it as an explicit experiential objective that people that come to my meetings won't hate them. That's, I mean, low bar, right? Don't hate it. Because a lot of people come into strat planning and go, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't like it. I'm not good at it. It's, it's useless. It's whatever. I want them to leave going, oh, that was actually kind of fun. I, that was better than I thought. Maybe even better than that. They leave with some buzz. They leave with some enthusiasm and some buy-in and some ownership of what's going on. That's an experiential objective. The second part of experience in my facilitation planning has to do with methodology. So if I'm talking about playground equipment, are we just going to talk about it or are we going to work in small groups? Are we going to put some things on the walls? Are we going to have people do a design charrette? Are they going to be looking at architectural drawings on the walls? It matters how you're going to work through that topic. And as the facilitator, I need to know what that is. And the problem is, if we don't specify that, what's our default in this culture? What do we normally do? Can somebody tell me? If we don't pay attention to methodology in a meeting, what's our default? Falling asleep, that could be true. Falling asleep because we do too much what? Talking, right? Talk, 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 talk. And the less the person who's running the meeting has planned, the more talking they do, yeah? So if you want your meetings to be engaging, because perhaps your experiential objective in the first half was, I want people to participate, you gotta think about how you're going to get them to participate. So it's not enough to just say playground equipment, it's playground equipment, make a decision about it, I want this to be fun, and we're going to use a design charrette methodology to do that, and I would write that out if I didn't know quite what that was. So you're, you're looking at various elements of both content and experience. What this means, too, is that you can track your progress in your meeting against those objectives. So think of a, a time when you felt like, oh, this meeting is not making good progress, but the reason it's not making good progress is because people are laughing their heads off. Have you ever had that happen? Doesn't happen very often. Sometimes our meetings aren't that funny. But say somebody gets the giggles, right? They get, they're pretty funny. You've got a really, you know, you've got a funny person around the table. They crack a joke. Everybody's laughing. You're the facilitator. You've got a choice in that moment, right? You can choose to cut that off or you can choose to add to the fun. And in the moment, if you can be thinking about this and saying, huh, this is interesting. We're not making good progress on choosing the playground equipment, but we are making really good progress on this being a fun, engaging meeting that's building the team. And that was part of my experiential objective. I can know in my head, I may not be achieving one of the objectives right this minute, but I'm achieving the other one. And that means that I'm still on track at least half of the way, and I need to make up some ground on the other half in a while, but I may not want to shut things down because this is part of the purpose of the meeting is to have a good time together and build the team. So tracking your multiple objectives from both a, a substance and an experience point of view can really allow you to have a richer understanding of whether a meeting has gone well or not. All right, so I think that that takes us, oh, let me, sorry, let me just say one more thing. This seems like kind of a big deal, right? It's like, wow, I didn't think planning a meeting had this many steps to it. This seems a little complicated. Maybe if I'm doing a full day meeting, yeah, but when I have to do my one hour departmental meeting, I'm not going to this much trouble. I get that. 
But I really believe that having a content objective and an experiential objective might be even more true for your repetitive so-called predictable meetings than for your one-off, one-day retreats. Partly because you have to know your why, and if there isn't one, don't have the meeting. But also because people walk into repetitive meetings thinking what? Tell me something that goes in your head when you walk into a repeated meeting. I got so much to do, this is a waste of my time. What's another one that you're thinking? What's going in your head when you walk into a familiar meeting? Nothing's gonna get done, what else? Same old, same old, right? Might be the same space, maybe the same people, maybe you know, I, you feel implicitly like you know what people are already going to say before they say it because you've been working with them for a long time and nothing new happens. Imagine if you're the leader of that meeting and you take some of this stuff into account and all of a sudden you want the experiential objective to be newness, something different. I want to surprise people. Hmm, okay, all of a sudden that one hour departmental repetitive meeting becomes about variety. It becomes about the unexpected. It becomes explicitly about injecting surprise and creativity. All of a sudden, that meeting's kind of fun. Like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And then when you come in next time, or maybe two meetings later, or three meetings later, you're like, oh, I wonder what we're going to do today. And you have a really different stance toward the meeting than you would if, it, if you, as the leader, just perpetuate Groundhog Day at that meeting. All right, so that's number three, paying attention to content and experience. So I filled in my script. This is my facilitation plan. I have my chunks. They each have a why. I've got content. I've got experience all planned out. And I would encourage you at that point, if you picture this, you love this now. This is beautiful, right? You've spent time on it. You've designed it. You've crafted it. So you're clinging pretty tightly to it, right? You, you've, you're invested now. You love this plan. My encouragement to you is to then loosen your grip a little bit on it and hold it loosely because you're dealing with humans, not with robots. And that's why we love this. We like dealing with people, but people don't behave predictably. And perhaps when you have been in a meeting or maybe you've led the meeting, uh, if I said to you, have you ever met the oblivious facilitator? Have you met that person? Do you know what I mean? I mean the facilitator that just barrels ahead with their plan because darn it, they have a plan and they are not paying attention to you at all. They're not listening, they're not watching, they're not looking at the clock, they are just, whatever, they're facilitating because their plan said so or because they've got more slides to cover. So we've probably all been in that meeting where the oblivious facilitator or oblivious presenter or negotiator or parent or whomever is talking and talking and talking and then all of a sudden they look at the clock and they go, oh, huh. Then what do they often do? If they're doing PowerPoint, what do they do right at that moment? Click, 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 click. Oh, these weren't that important anyway, right? And you're going, well, they must have been important to someone at some moment because you put them in there and now I'm missing them because you weren't well organized, right? That's partly a time management question, but it's also not paying good attention to what's going on in the room. So let me give you another example of that. I was, in, I was a participant in a meeting about this size and the facilitator came up to the front and said, okay, I'm going to walk you through a process today that is brand new. Can't wait, really looking forward to it, new process. So I'm already thinking, okay, that person had an experiential objective, they've paid attention to methodology, that's great. I'm, I'm game for that. He goes, okay, how many of you have tried, and then he named the um, methodology he was going to use. He said, this is brand new and I can't wait, has anyone heard of it? Well, I would say 80%, maybe 85% of the room put their hand up. 
Okay, so what's going through your head? Just that much. I'll stop my story there just for a moment. What are you thinking already? Give me something that just went through your head when you heard me say that. Hmm, sorry? Panic. Why are you panicking, Julie? Why would that induce panic? Right, my new thing is not new to my crowd, right? What do you think, unfortunately, Mr. Oblivious Facilitator did? Exactly, he went right ahead and pretended it was new, and it was only new to him. Horrible. I was cringing for him, and he facilitated it badly because it was new. And, you know, he also said, oh, sorry, I did my slides at 1130 last night. Please excuse any typos, right? Just all these things. You just go, oh, don't. Because if you're going to ask people what they think or ask them to give you some input, adjust to the input. Adapt to the input. Don't pretend that you didn't notice that people are asleep or on their phone or that 85% of the room said to you this is not new to them. You need to then respond and whatever you've planned in your script, it doesn't need to get pitched out the window, but you need to hold it loosely and adjust. You need to be nimble and agile. And so you will notice that uh, your resource number four on your list is, uh, is a book called Nimble. And that book is coming, it's, uh, it went to the typesetter today. It's being uh, released in Australia when I'm there on the 21st of February and it will be available in this area in March. And it's really about when things go off script but keeping it on track. So that is uh, my new book, and that's actually the door prize today. So if you'd like a copy of that, you got to get your, your business card in there. So be nimble as a facilitator and hold your script loosely. That doesn't mean winging it. It means being well-prepared and then holding your script loosely. How do we do that? We plan for multiple scenarios. Again, you can look on my website and see this in the resource section. But basically what I do when I'm planning a session is I say, okay, I'm going to try this tactic, this approach, this methodology, and then we're going to do this. But then I also say, but if that doesn't work, here's my plan B. And sometimes I even, for something really big or unpredictable, I also plan a plan C. Does it mean that plan A, plan B, or even plan C is what happens in the room? Not necessarily. But by planning those multiple scenarios out, I've let my brain consider the possibility that things won't go the way I thought. So when I have to do plan D in the room, my brain is more ready for plan D than it would have been if I had only planned plan A. Because I've allowed neurologically some space to say, hmm, here's one way of doing it, here's another way. And so when the third way comes up, I go, okay, I'm ready for that. Terrific resource on this is Chris Hadfield, astronaut Chris Hadfield's TED Talk on going blind in space. So great. And it's amazing for two reasons, at least. One of them is this one. He says, look, I didn't plan to get soap in my eyes on a spacewalk and go blind in space. Didn't know that was going to happen to me. Tells the story way better than I did and with much more detail. But he says, because I had planned for a whole bunch of other unexpected, crazy scenarios in space and the space station, I did not panic because I had trained my body and my brain not to be scared in a situation where most people would be scared. So plan for multiple scenarios is the tip that allows you to hold your script loosely. Last idea, and it's also related to Commander Hadfield. Use strong process to offset poor behavior. When I train in facilitation skills, which I do all the time, and I say to people, what are you most afraid of as a facilitator? Can someone guess what they, what many people say as the most common fear of being a meeting leader? 
a heckler, right? Some variation of someone behaving badly, right? Somebody nasty, somebody taking over, somebody who won't shut up, somebody who's belligerent, somebody who's heckling, all that stuff. In that same TED Talk, Commander Hadfield talks about fear of spiders. Do you know how many people are afraid of spiders? How many, well, let me put it this way. How many of you would say, yeah, I don't love them? If you're a little bit afraid of spiders. Do you know how many poisonous spiders there are in Canada? One, black widow spider in BC. So as long as you are not in BC right this minute, the likelihood of you getting bitten by a poisonous spider is fairly low. In fact, zero. But it doesn't stop us from being afraid of spiders. So his point is that what we are afraid of and the danger of something don't always line up. Danger of spiders in Canada is low. Fear of them is high. Similarly, in facilitation, fear of hecklers or difficult participants is high. Actual likelihood, in my experience, is fairly low. Why? Because Canadians are mostly polite. I think that's actually why. People generally behave decently in meetings. So your fear might be a little bit unfounded. However, I'm going to give you a tip for addressing it if your fear ends up coming true and you have difficult people or potentially difficult people in the room. Here's the tip. Good process in a meeting means that most of the time, difficult people have no need to be difficult because you are giving them clear purpose, you've got really clear methodology mapped out, you're responding to what they tell you, you use their words, so if you're writing on a flip chart, you're writing what they said, so they feel heard, they see their stuff visibly, they're allowed to participate, and then there's no need then for them to be, well, I want to say this or whatever, they don't get upset because they see that they're being heard, and really that's what most of us want, is to know for sure we're being heard. So things like making it visible or using their words allows people to see that they are being heard, and it has a really another really interesting effect. If you give people, sorry, let me put it this way, you can use process to democratize power in a room, and so if you have really strong hierarchy happening to the point that some people are silenced in a room because there's others of really significantly higher power than them in the room. If you just resort to only talking, often the higher powered people will do the talking or and or the people of relative lower power will do less talking. But if I had the same question and instead of saying, so what do you all think? If I gave everybody three orange post-it notes and said, please write one idea per post-it note and put those ideas on the wall, what happens? All of a sudden, everybody gets three. So the quiet people have to come out of themselves and write three. And the loud people, they don't get to bargain and barter and ask for more than three. They get three too. Everybody gets three. So all of a sudden, we've equalized things. And now all the feedback's on the wall. What else does that do? It makes it anonymous. Because unless you're going to be a sleuth of handwriting, you don't need to care whose feedback's on the wall. And now we're not dealing with power. We're dealing with post-its on a wall. And it has democratized that feedback. And we're all about all the feedback on the wall and not so much about who said it. And so there's ways that you can use process to democratize what goes on in a room and also to offset the likelihood that you're going to get bad behavior. So meetings are necessary because collaboration is necessary, because our world is complex, because we don't all have the full perspective or skills necessary to tackle that, that complexity. But they don't have to be just a necessary evil. They, with some planning and some creativity, they can actually be the best part of your week, the best part of your work, rather than a distraction from it. Thanks very much. 
Thank you for listening to Five Good Ideas with Dr. Rebecca Southerns. We link to Rebecca's Five Good Ideas, her resources, and a full transcript of today's session in our show notes. You can find all of our Five Good Ideas sessions from past seasons on the Matri website. That's matri.com forward slash five dash good dash ideas. And you can subscribe to our podcast to continue to listen to our best sessions. See you next time. <laughs>